Thank you, guys. I want to continue what Kevin normally does whenever he comes up here before us. Um, and what he likes to do is make sure that everyone has a scripture journal uh, or a Bible. So if you're new to us this morning um, or you just don't have a scripture journal or a Bible, please raise your hand and Mitchell or Taylor will give you one. Um, scripture journal or Bibles, we'll pass those out to you guys this morning as we get started. So I want to say good morning, church. I'm glad to stand before you this morning and open up the Word of God. Uh, this is um, a really amazing passage that we're going to look at this, this morning as we talk about uh, just what it means to be empowered to serve. Uh, so if you're looking for a title, if you're wondering what the message is about, what are we going to focus on this morning, we're going to talk about being empowered to serve right here out of this text. Oftentimes, whenever I stand before you guys, I like to begin by asking a question. Uh, so I want to do that this morning. I want to ask you this very simple question. When was the last time that you thought about how God has gifted you? Have you recently reflected on your gifts, your talents, or your special abilities? You see, last week, Pastor Kevin talked about true ministry, what it meant to do true ministry. And I believe that many people don't think that of themselves as ministers. Many people don't think that they have a ministry at all. They think that to be in ministry, you have to be getting paid to serve in that way, to be paid to serve at a church. And that's not the only way that a person does ministry. It's not just a, a job that you do in church from nine to five. But ministry is something that all Christians have been given. It's something that all of us as believers have responsibility to do whenever we serve God with our talents, gifts, and abilities. We all have a ministry. And so, so many of us sell ourselves short. We don't see the talent that is within us. There are others of us who are more self-aware regarding our talents and abilities, but we're blind with respect to how those gifts can be used for God's kingdom. You know that there are things that you're good at, but you don't necessarily know how those gifts and talents and things can be used for God's kingdom. God has given every member of his church something special. If you are in Christ, then you have been gifted to serve. And so it's our hope this morning that you would do what Paul told Timothy to do when he spoke to him in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6, and says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Have you ever watched uh, America's Got Talent? Um, or maybe you've seen uh, American Idol or any of the plethora of TV shows that are out there uh, that has different people trying to show their gifts hoping that someone on some level will enjoy what they have to give um, and pay them for it eventually maybe, uh, but also just um, someone else will be able to just see those things within them and like it, enjoy it, be able to appreciate those things that they have inside of themselves. You know, like we see those types of TV shows all the time and that's such a popular part of our culture uh, to want to look at things like that, to want to look at gifts and talents and abilities, but so frequently we don't understand and we don't see the fact that what God wants from us is for us to seek to get his applause for those gifts and things that we have, get his applause for using the talents that he has put within us. This morning, as we start the message, I want to break it into three very simple parts. Uh, the first part is that if we're going to be empowered to serve, if we're truly going to be able to serve God, serve his kingdom, the first thing we have to look at is we have to serve God with our head. Serve God with our head. And to serve God with your head, you have to recognize needs. And let's look at verse 1 again as the word says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And what we see right here in this verse is we see that the early church was experiencing this explosion. The church was booming. The church was expanding significantly. And they needed organization to be able to maintain the health of the church. The apostles were the initial teachers and leaders of the early church. And it was through them that came into the region of Jerusalem and then from there the entire world. And they were those who had been with Christ. They knew the Messiah firsthand. And they were able to tell others about him. They were able to give an accurate account of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and even God's purpose through all of those things. You see, the common practice of the early church that we see right here in this verse is they met from house to house, loving and teaching people. They would break bread and they would take the Lord's table, what we would call communion. The early leaders baptized scores of people. They also gave financially. And these, they took care of one another's needs in this early church. These were the routines of the early church. And even to this day, we continue that legacy as well. We do the same things today in our church, here in the church of Christ, right now in the 21st century as they did back in the first century. And we see in verse 1, we see this word disciples. And when the Bible calls them disciples, what the Bible is trying to say is that they were literally learners. To be a disciple is to be a learner. We see that they are learners. They are students of Jesus Christ. They were those who were learning Christ. They were followers who were trying to learn God's ways through Jesus. And they were massively increasing in number. God was greatly adding to his church. The apostles and other believers were filling the holy city with the doctrine of Christ. This is what uh, we read last week, Acts chapter 5, verse 28. People were coming to Jesus in great numbers, and they were being excellent witnesses in Jerusalem, which is what Jesus commanded them to do in Acts 1.8. But as is so frequently the case whenever you get a collection of people together, despite the fact that things were going so well, despite the fact that things were going very smoothly, and there were so many people coming into the kingdom, so many people coming to faith in Jesus, they were believing in their Messiah, there was still this opportunity for division to arise. And there was this complaint brought by the Hellenists. You see, whenever the church is on mission for God, the enemy of our souls is always at work. One of the first ways that the world attacks us right here in Acts is it attacks through persecution. And we looked at that last week. We looked at the persecution uh, that the, the apostles went through, Peter and the apostles went through when they were arrested, imprisoned, eventually freed by God. And then after they were freed, they were brought before the Jewish council and they were beaten. And so we see that continual persecution that they experienced in chapter 5. But the more they were persecuted, the more boldly they began to proclaim the word, the more boldly they began to preach and exclaim the good news. And God continued to add to his church. The very first attack that the world puts forth towards these new believers, these early Christians, was persecution. But the second way that the church would be attacked would be through disunity, would be through the sin of disunity. We see right here in this text that the Hellenistic Jewish Christians were complaining because they were unhappy about the level of care that their widows were receiving back home. This unity is such a frequent problem in churches. And this should never be the case. We have a great example here in this text of how the leaders were working to promote the unity of the body. 
And whenever you see Hellenistic Jews, um, maybe nothing comes into your mind. So I just want to very quickly break that down. There are these two different groups of Jews back in the ancient world. There were the native Jews, those Jews who were born, raised, and lived in Israel. And then there were those Jews that were living outside of the homeland, outside of um, their, their homeland of Israel, outside of Palestine. And so all Jews that lived outside of the borders of, of Israel, outside of the borders of Palestine, as it was known then, they were all Hellenistic Jews. To be a Hellenistic Jew is just to be a Greek Jew. Hellenistic is just another way of saying Greek. And so there were Greek Jews from the Greek world. They went to synagogues in their local places, in their local cities, uh, but they were actually, in their heritage, Jewish. And we see a great example of that uh, coming up in the next couple chapters as we look at Saul of Tarsus. Saul was from Tarsus, which was um, a city in what was then called Sicilia, but what we currently call Turkey. He was 500 miles away from the holy city, 500 miles away from Jerusalem. And so he was a Hellenistic Jew. He was just a Jew from outside of the home country. And what we see with these Hellenistic Jews is that they are, to use the King James Version, they were murmuring. What, what our ESV says is complaining. They were murmuring, they were complaining because their widows were not being taken care of. It was culturally expected to take care of your own. It was culturally expected by the Jewish people to take care of their widows. And so they were looking forward to having their widows provided for in the same way as the other widows were being taken care of that were in Israel. Hellenistic Jews were like, why is it that we take care of the widows here in Israel, but we're not taking care of the widows outside of the borders of this area? They were very upset that their widows weren't receiving the same care as the others. Normally... When I stand before you guys, I like to explain what the word means, and then at the end we apply it. But today I'm going to do something very different than I've, I've ever done, maybe my entire life. Um, what, what I want to do this morning is I want to immediately apply everything that we're looking at. So I want to give you background like I just did, and then I'm going to immediately apply those words to our context right here, right now. And so if the first point of my message is recognize needs, then practical application number one is we have to recognize needs just like the early church does here in this text. You see, these Hellenistic Jews recognized a need that was in their context. They recognized that their widows were not being provided for. They were going hungry. They weren't able to eat, and they weren't able to sustain their lives. And that was the responsibility of the church, to take care of their own. And so they recognized that need that existed in front of them. And so the question for you this morning is, do you recognize needs around you? Are you looking for opportunities to serve God? Is there something lacking in this body here at Aletheia or within the Christian movement here in this city of Gainesville that you can support and perhaps even lead? If you are going to serve God, the first thing you have to do is you must recognize needs. You have to be aware of all of these needs around you. When I, when I think about this, I think back to, to my own um, situation here at Aletheia. Uh, when, I, when I came to Aletheia initially, I knew that I wanted to serve uh, because, of, because that's just what you do as a believer. You serve God. And so as I came into this church, I had a good friend. Uh, his his in-laws are actually in this church right now, th this morning. Um, and this good friend named Keith Patterson, Keith came up to me one Sunday. He was like, Theo, I'm, I'm working on a facilities team here at Aletheia, and I'm just curious as to whether or not you would be willing to help me out. And so I told Keith, yes. And what I did was um, every couple Sundays, I would get a broom, and I would sweep the entire floor. 
And at, at that time, a lot of the, the chairs were not in the same places where they are now. Uh, so I can sweep the entire floor and just go up and down this entire room. And so for probably four or five months, that was my area of service here at this church. I just went up and down every floor so that once people came into here, they were able to come into a room that was cleaner, that was less, um, le- less messy than it would have been otherwise. And so that's, that's just like what I think about when I think back to like recognizing needs is I wasn't wise enough or smart enough to figure out what the church needed. But fortunately, Keith was able to come alongside me and say, hey, man, like I feel like you, you want to be plugged in here. And so this is one way that you can get plugged in and help is I'm cleaning the floors every week. And it'd be awesome if you could help me do that. It'd be awesome if you can join the facilities team and take care of this room as well for the people. And so I put that question before you. Are you looking for areas that are needed in this church to serve? Are you looking for areas of need? The first thing you have to do is recognize needs. If you're going to be empowered to serve God, if you're going to serve God with your head. But the second thing is you have to establish your priorities. Establish your priorities. Look at verse 2 again. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You see, the twelve gathered together to figure out this problem. Uh, You know, it may seem strange that it says the twelve because uh, in your mind you you may be thinking that, well, what happened to, to Judas? Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas committed suicide. Judas was no longer a part of the disciples. He's, he's not an apostle. So when it says 12, who are they talking about? Well, in the beginning of Acts, they actually appointed another person who was uh, Matthias. Matthias actually came in and he became that 12th person. And so the 12 are together. And these early leaders, the implication of this verse is they actually served the church in a bunch of different ways. They actually were leaders that did more than just preach and teach but they served the church in so many other ways beyond that. They were relied on to fulfill every need. They were turned to for every problem. This was an overwhelming task that they were given, and they could not respond to every need that was presented before them, particularly with this growing movement on their hands as we read about in verse 1. They could not continue to do everything the church needed to be done. They needed to find a solution to the problem of growth and expansion, by taking care of the church's widows in a way that was maybe not going to necessarily involve them. So they say right here in this text that they can't serve tables. They can't serve tables. Literally, uh, to serve tables means um, some people take this to mean serving food. Uh, So, you know, the widows needed to be given food. They needed to be a part of the distribution of food. Um, And so a lot of people take this to mean uh, that the apostles are saying they can't serve food. The apostles, um, you know, couldn't give food to every single person that needed it in this expanding church. But there are other people that look at these words and they see something else. They, They look at the fact that this phrase in Acts looks exactly like another phrase in the Gospels. Whenever Jesus goes into the temple and he's turning over the the, the tables, you know, he's getting upset about the fact that they had turned God's house of prayer into a place to make money. Whenever that happens, Jesus turns over the tables and that phrase is the exact same phrase here in Acts. And so what some people take this to mean is that they were saying that they couldn't no longer handle the distribution of the finances like they had been doing before. They were, in effect, saying that they could not handle the finances and the distribution of money that needed to be given to those who were in need. 
And so either way, whether you see that as, in, um, as you know, serving food directly, or if you see that in terms of them like giving uh, the, the finances that the church received to those who needed it so that they can buy their own food, either way that you view that, what we see here is that the apostles recognized that they could not serve tables. The apostles realized that they needed to get their priorities in order. They needed to put first things first. Their first calling was to preach and teach the word of God. They needed to study the word and deliver the word. When the apostles here mention the word of God, what they have in view here is they have in view the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, what they would call the Old Covenant. They had that in view right here in this text. And so one of the weird things that I don't think we always think about is the fact that the apostles didn't necessarily all receive direct revelation from God. You know, like they didn't just stand up and proclaim the gospel and God just like directly spoke through them like the word of God. That was something that God gave Peter. Peter wrote the words of, of, of the Bible. That was something that God gave the apostle Paul. He was able to write words of the Bible. But not all 12 apostles just like spoke the word of God constantly because they were just given that gift by the Holy Spirit. What they had to do right here in Acts is they had to dig into the Old Testament, dig into the old scriptures and figure out what God's message was concerning Jesus to give to the people. So whenever they say that they needed time to, to, to preach the word of God and to pray, like this is sincere because they're not just every time they speak, they're just speaking God's words. They had to dig, they had to study, they had to take time to do this action. And so consequently, like this is a real significant need that they needed to focus their attention on. This is important. I want to give you a little verse four preview. Uh, verse four says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the word. Literally, this phrase means the service of the word. And I love that wordplay because in Greek, what it looks like is they're saying here in verse two, we can't serve tables. And then in verse four, they're saying we have to serve the word. We have to devote ourselves to the service of the word. So they're saying we can't serve tables. We have to serve the word to God's people. That was to be their first priority. They were establishing their priorities. The number one priority was to pray and to preach. And I love what, what John MacArthur has said about this. He says, that was the established priority, praying to draw the power of God, preaching to declare the truth of God. And so practical application number two is this, establish your priorities. We see in this section of the text that the apostles established their priorities. They looked at the needs and opportunities around them, and they made a determination as to what they should focus on. Have you sat down in an earnest prayer asked God to reveal to you what your priorities should be right now in this season of your life? When was the last time that you took time to be quiet and to be still before God so that he could have an opportunity to speak to you through the host of ways, as God so oftentimes does. Whenever I look at my life, God speaks to me in three primary ways. Number one, God speaks to me in his word. His word is so clear. This is God's message to us. This is the first way that God speaks to me. Number two, God speaks to me through his people. There's been so many frequent moments in my life where a person has said something to me that I felt like was just directly from God. And then number three, God speaks to me through my circumstances. I can just look at some of the things going on around me and just see how God is leading me towards this or towards that. And so when was the last time you took time to just be still before God and establish your priorities and ask God, 
where you should focus your energy and your effort. You see, perhaps the aimlessness of your life or the lack of God's power and direction that you perceive in your life is due to the fact that you are not seeking God when you're determining your priorities. We are very ambitious people here in Gainesville. We're very hardworking people for you, the majority of you, to have gotten into the University of Florida. It's a great effort and great work. Um, I, I understand that as, as an, an, an alum. Like, I get the fact that, like, that's a great effort and great work. But when was the last time you said, God, what you want for my life is the first thing that I need to focus on right now. And then everything else will come second. When was the last time God was your first priority? You see, if we're going to serve God you must sit down and determine what he would have you to focus on. When I think about just priority uh, establishing in um, just a general sense, um, I, was, I was a history major at, at UF, uh, so I've, I focus a lot on uh, social studies type aspects of things. And I oftentimes think back to, to World War II um, because I'm just a super nerd. And um, I, I, I think back to, to, to WW2, and I think back to the United States. And, you know, the way we entered uh, World War II was the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And that was the, the thing that was the catalyst that led us to actually get into the war officially. We were unofficially in the war, but we officially became a part of the war at that point. And what's interesting about that is if you look at what we did immediately after that, you would think that the first priority for the United States would be to attack Japan directly, uh, to just put out an all-out assault to attack Japan. But that's not what happened. What they actually did was they sat down with the War Council and they established their priorities and they realized that they needed to attack Europe first. Europe had to be first. They realized that Nazism and Hitler and Germany's empire was constantly expanding. And if they were going to be able to win this war, they needed to go into Germany first and establish that as their base. They needed to put Europe first. And that strategy paid off significantly because it took years for us to be able to push Germany back into Germany and then conquer it. But it only took a couple months once we had established uh, our victory in the European theater before we were able to get that victory in Japan as well. Um, it was about a, a three to five month period between winning in Germany and winning in Japan. It took a lot longer to win in Germany than it would have, uh, than it did Japan. And so they established their priorities. And in the same way, God is calling us to put first things first and to establish our priorities. If you're going to be able to serve God with power, you must put things in the right order. Recognize needs and establish your priorities. So the first point is serve God with your head. But not only should you serve God with your head, but you should also serve God with your, your heart. You should serve God with your heart. You have to, um, sub point one, you have to examine your motives. And we see that right here in verse three. Verse three says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And I love how this selection um, begins by affirming the church's role in leadership selection. You know, it could have said that the apostles said, you know what? You guys brought this complaint before us, and we're going to figure out how to fix this problem. But that's not what they do. What they do is they actually go to the congregation to have them pick out from among them some men to fulfill this area of ministry. They chose some men to fill this area. 
This word men in Greek, um, it's, it's, not, it's not gender neutral. Uh, there are gender neutral words in Greek. Uh, this is not one of them. Uh, this word is the word andros, which just means males. And God has always used men to lead his church. And that's not to say that women are unimportant or irrelevant. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, women are equally critical to the function of the church, even while not necessarily holding certain leadership positions. Uh, there have been both old covenant women and new covenant women, particularly powerful women in the book of Acts that we're going to look at as we continue to go through this book that were instrumental to the church um, as a whole. But for this particular area of leadership and for some areas of leadership in the church, God has... Um, he has designed for men to fill certain roles. And we see that right here in this example. We see that they chose men to fulfill this leadership capacity. Um, if you want more information about uh, what I think about women um, in Scripture and in church and in the Bible, you can look at the talk that I gave a couple weeks ago on YouTube. And um, it will tell you uh, much more about that. Or ask any of the 20 women who were there. They can tell you more as well. Uh, so... I don't want to emphasize men right now in such a way that makes you think that um, the Bible thinks less of women um, or that we think less of women, because that is certainly not what the, what the Bible says. The Bible holds women in very high regard. But at this time, what they were trying to focus on was finding men to fulfill this function of the church to take care of these widows. And so they were tasked with finding men of good repute, basically men that had a good reputation uh, that could be uh, both respectable and honorable for this role. And so... Practical application number three is this, you have to examine your motives. You see, before undertaking any endeavor for the Lord, you always have to make sure that your motives are pure, that your motives are right. Always make sure that you can be a person of good repute, to use these words here, or has a good reputation, we would say um, in our modern um, modern vernacular. Uh, we have to make sure that the reasons that we want to engage in any service for God are the right reasons. And so I want to tell you a couple things that you shouldn't do out of service for God. Don't serve God to gain respect among people like the Pharisees did. And don't serve God to gain power over people like James and John tried to do in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Don't serve God to display how great you are at this or that which is what King Saul would do in 1 Samuel. And don't serve God out of reluctance like Jonah does in the book of Jonah. You see, when you serve God, don't do it for respect and don't do it for power. Don't do it to show how great you are at whatever gifts he's given you. And don't do it reluctantly. Like if you're going to serve God, you have to serve God for the right reasons. And so many times we serve God for all the wrong reasons. And what we see here in this example in Acts are men who are chosen because of their motives, because of their reasons. Their reasons were right. Their character was pure and their desires were righteous. Consequently, the church body affirmed their calling. And I pray that all of us would just repent of any selfish ambition which may exist in our heart when it comes to being a serving vessel for God. Paul tells us to to. to, to uh, push back against selfish ambition. In Philippians 1.17, he says this, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And then Paul says this in Philippians 2.3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
And then James, uh, James in James chapter 1, verse uh, 16 says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. If we're going to serve God with our heart, we have to examine our motives. But not only do we have to examine our motives, uh, but number two, we have to be filled with the Spirit. And again, we see that in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. They chose seven men. Seven is a number that signifies in the Bible completion or perfection. And they chose these seven men uh, who were already present in their congregation. Uh, These men had to be obviously previously converted to Christ. They had to be believers. Uh, But not only did they need to be believers, but they also had to be present. Only by being present could they be known. And only by being known could they be proven to have a good reputation, full of Holy Spirit and of wisdom. It says that they were um, men of good repute, full of Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. But they couldn't have been known to be that way if they weren't known by the congregation, known by the body, known by the church. You see, they had good character. They had high character. They were respected. They had integrity. But not only that, they were full of the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit and lifestyle. So what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It just means to be led by the Spirit and lifestyle, uh, which meant that they evidenced how they were living by the Spirit by living according to God's will and living according to God's ways. They were full of wisdom. They needed uh, to have a knowledge of what is right coupled with good decision-making. So they had wisdom. Um, They were discerning and able to make good decisions with spiritual insight. These men in this text are not called deacons. Uh, They're not called elders. They're just the men that God appointed to serve his church in this capacity. Uh, They were given oversight of the church to fulfill this particular spiritual duty. And they had to be qualified to be trusted to do such. And I think that when you look at this, you can rightly put the term deacon, uh, which Paul used later um, in 1 Timothy 3, 8 uh, through 13. You can use that term to fit these men, but this isn't what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't directly say that these men were called deacons. They were just faithful men, faithful men who were trusted to serve God in the capacity that was being asked of them in Scripture. That's something that all of us can relate to. We can all relate to the fact that we should be faithful men or women who can serve God in whatever capacity he would have before us. Practical application number four is to be filled with the Spirit. Make sure, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, make sure that you are nourishing your spiritual life. Maintain a close relationship with God by being constant in prayer, as it says here, and continual in Bible absorption. When filled with the Spirit, you'll be wise because you'll be filled with the Bible. The Spirit and the Word go hand in hand. And um, my favorite preacher, the, the Prince of Preachers, he wrote these words. He said, this is Spurgeon. He says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, We are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. In your serving God, don't miss God. Enjoy your relationship with him. Intentionally taking time to know him better should be our focus, and we should be conformed more and more to his ways. P.T. Forsyth, um, a Scottish theologian, 
he said these words. He says, it is possible to be so active in the service of Christ as to forget to love him. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people so frequently become burnt out whenever they serve in church life. They become burnt out because in the midst of serving, they forget the one whom they serve for. They forget the one who served us first. So easy for us to want to give to God and want to serve God, want to be involved in, in crew and navigators and BCM and in any plethora of all of the fraternities and sororities and all the different things that we do to serve God, all the different things like FCA and whatnot that we have to be able to serve God on our campus. All of those things are great. All those things are wonderful, but it's so frequent that we serve him and we're connected in those organizations, but we miss God, we miss Jesus. We miss that relationship with him. And consequently, like we become withered. We become dried up. We just become ineffective. And we don't have that same power that we should have because we forget the reason why we're doing all these things. And I think so frequently we forget that Jesus says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. And when you think about that, like you think about the fact that like Jesus, who was God in the flesh, said that he came to this planet not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many he is just such an amazing example for us and if Jesus came not to receive but to give how much more should we have that as our motivation how much more should that motivate us to want to serve God because we know that we find and follow a God who has served us first he died for us long before we thought about him. Long before God was, was in your mind, you thought anything about Christ, Christ came and died on the cross so that we can be reconciled to the Father. And that is the motivation that we draw from whenever we're trying to serve God, is we serve God from the overflow of all of the blessing that he has given us and what he has done on our behalf. And so I pray that as you give to God, as you give to him in service, as you determine the area that you should be able to pour into for his sake and for his name, that you're thinking about the fact that before you do anything, he loved you so much as to give you the very best that he had. The father gave his son, which is the very best that he had. He doesn't give us anything secondhand or anything worthless or small or marginal. He gave us his son. So if you're going to serve God, if you're going to be empowered to serve God, you have to serve God with your head. You have to serve God with your heart. You have to both examine your motives, and you have to be filled with the Spirit. But my third and final point is this. Serve God with your hands. Serve God with your hands. If we're going to serve God with our hands, we have to prayerfully engage um, it's like that, that uh, praying emoji. We have to, to prayerfully engage. Um, let's, let's look at, at verses 4 through 6. Uh, the word says this. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Porchorus, and Nicator, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicolaitis, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 4, the apostles had their priorities in order. They gave their undivided attention to praying and serving the people the word. Verse 5, the verdict that the apostles rendered made everybody happy. 
They were unified once again, and everyone was pleased with this new division of labor. This unity is a sign of God's hand at work. And another part of verse 5, which is, which is so amazing to me, so, so encouraging to me, something that's like very easily, uh, easily missed, is all of these, these men, all, all, all seven of these names, all of these names are Greek names. You remember that to be a Hellenistic Jew is to be a Greek Jew, a uh, Jew from the Greco-Roman world. So all these names are Greek names. And what's really amazing about that is that every single man that they chose uh, to fulfill this task were qualified uh, partially, obviously, first of all, because they had spiritual qualifications. Those spiritual qualifications were first. But secondly, they had the right background to be used by God for this task. You see, they were uniquely qualified to take the lead in the loving welfare of the widows, partially because they were Hellenistic themselves. And I've rightly heard it said that those who have the most at stake in a ministry are best to lead a ministry. And we see that right here amongst these believers. These Hellenistic Jewish Christian men were uniquely qualified to fulfill this mission because the believing widows were their countrywomen. And this is just a little preview of the application here. Find what God has made you passionate about and then serve him diligently in that area. That's, that's what these guys did. Find what God has made you passionate about and then serve him diligently in that area. Those who love a ministry should lead a ministry. Verse 6 says this. Verse 6 says, As the final display of unity in a chapter filled with harmony of purpose, we see the laying on of hands by the congregation uh, to commission these new leaders. And I love how frequently we do this uh, here at Aletheia. I love how, how frequently we engage in that. I think back to a couple weeks ago, uh, Joel Zur, uh, he stood right here. And uh, Joel um, was, he, we, we put hands on Joel and we prayed over Joel as he was moving to a new state. Uh, Joel's not, not, not a, a missionary. Uh, Joel's not a deacon. Uh, Joel wasn't an elder. Uh, Joel wasn't a pastor. Joel was just like you guys. He was just a member of this church who faithfully gave to this church, who served very consistently in this church. And we love him and we know him. And he told us that he was moving on into this new state, um, to this new area over in the Carolinas. And we just took that moment just to pray over him. Uh, we, we put our hands on him and we prayed over him and sent him out. And hopefully we'll do that with all of you um, as you transition from this place. Alethe is very faithful uh, to do that, to commission people off into whatever new realms of life they're going to for the Lord, knowing that Gainesville is just a, a transient city. And what we see, what we follow the practice that we see here in this text. We see that they laid their hands on them. Paul says this about Timothy. He says that Timothy was set apart this exact same way. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul lived this out. He lived out what, what Luke is describing right here in Acts. They put their hands on them to connect with them to show their trust and their support of them. This is a visible manifestation of their solidarity with these seven men that they were commissioning to this new task when the elders laid their hands on them. And so my fifth point of practical application is this. Preferably engage and seek confirmation. We have discussed this in length 
uh, whenever we talk about uh, praying, prayer is always first. Um, we always have to pray before service. Uh, pray before we serve God. When I say service. If you want God to bless your efforts, you have to pray. Yeah, you have to pray to him. You have to respond to his leading. But not only must you pray, but you must be confirmed by Christians in your community. You see, if God has truly called you to an area of service for him, there will be others in the faith who will see what God is doing through you, and they will affirm and confirm what God has placed in you. You should see that in the people that you are around who are believers, who have Christ. You should seek the counsel of others for ministry decisions and ministry callings. God will use his people to affirm his purposes in you. Be known well enough to be confirmed. And that is something that that we always strive for within our church is to get people connected to community, get people connected to gospel communities. We have a gospel community every night of the week except for Saturday. Uh, That's one of the ways we try to connect with people. We connect with you guys whenever uh, we come to church, like beforehand. We connect afterwards whenever we do the around the table. There's so many ways for you to be connected within this church. We're going to talk about more in a second. Uh, But there's so many ways for you to be connected, and it is so vitally important that you are known by the community. Just before I came up here, I was talking with someone um, about the fact that they want to to, to serve God in a way around teaching. Um, And, you know, I, I never knew that before, like, that moment. And that's something that, like, we can certainly, as a body, help them to do. But we can't help you to fulfill God's purpose for your life if we don't know you. We can't help you fulfill God's purpose for your life if you're not known by the community. So be known by this church. Be known by this body. Uh, Be known by Kevin and Daniel and Derek and Brent and Stephen and all these guys. Like, Be known by the community. Be known by all the believers, all the great people here in this church that serve God. That way we can affirm you and confirm you and hopefully empower you and love you and lead you into what's next in your lives. Not only uh, must you see that, but let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 tells us this, that if we're going to serve God with our hands, we have to prayerfully engage, but we also have to serve diligently. Verse 7 says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We immediately see what resulted from this new division of labor. As they said, all right, these seven men, they're going to take care of these widows, and then the apostles, we're going to continue to preach and teach the word. Once they created this new division of labor, they immediately saw God's blessing in the fact that there was increase. God's word increased. God's people increased. Many of those who were the most resistant to the gospel, the priests, they came to faith through obedience in Christ. They, uh, the apostles were now able to have the time and the opportunity to fully devote themselves to their mission. The word of God continues to increase even today. Disciples are continually being added to the church even now. All of this happens when we are faithful to use our gifts to honor our God, Jesus. Practical application number six, the the last uh, practical application, number six is serve diligently. As we seek to apply this final verse, I want you to reflect on a few words from the mouth of our Lord about Christian service. A few words from from Jesus' mouth himself. You're probably very familiar with this parable. I want to read it very quickly, very briefly. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. And then we're going to jump down to verse 18 to 23. This is the parable of the sower, which says this. Beginning in verse 3. 
And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, hear, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. And the reason why I take us to this parable is because, as we, as we, as we close, is because I think that the clear teaching from this parable is that all those who receive the word bear fruit. To become a Christian, you have to receive the word. I think that is immediately recognizable in this context. If you have received the word, then you must bear fruit. Fruit bearing isn't optional. You don't get to choose whether you bear fruit or not. All true believers either bear fruit 100 times, 60 times, or 30 times, Jesus says in this parable. Things that don't bear fruit are not alive. A Christian who doesn't bear fruit is an oxymoron. Let me be even more explicit. If you are not bearing fruit, you are not a Christian. That's not my idea, mind you. That's not something that I just came up with, but that's clearly what God has said in this text as he gives that example of the seeds that fell among different paths. If you call yourself a Christian and you never serve God, you are not a Christian. All Christians bear fruit. All Christians produce for God. Now, mind you, I don't have time right this second to say everything that I could say about serving God and what that looks like. There's a hundred different ways that, that, that we can talk about, like what, what serving God looks like um, and what um, bearing fruit looks like as you serve God. Uh, but the main point that I want to convey to you right now is the fact that Jesus said that all Christians bear fruit. And one of the things that's encouraging um, as God challenges us through his word is that we don't all have to bear the same level of fruit. And we don't all have to bear the same amount of fruit. You know, it's encouraging to us because we would be so discouraged if we all had to be like Billy Graham, who was able to preach to thousands of people and thousands of people came to Christ. That's not necessarily what God has called all of us to, to be able to have that type of effect. We don't all have to bear the same level of fruit or the same amount, but we must all bear fruit. 
And let's look at one more passage from the mouth of Jesus. This is John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The word says this. This is Jesus talking again. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Then jump down to verse 16. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This verse affirms what we just said. I wanted Jesus to make these words to you very clear in your minds. He has appointed us, he just said, he has appointed us to bear fruit every branch in him bears fruit. It's impossible not to. And branches that don't bear fruit, they prune um, and they cut it away and those branches are dead and they wither and they're burned. I think that, that that's obvious in that context what he means by, by they are burned. But he says that if you're in me and I'm in you, you're going to bear fruit. And so the challenge for all of us is just to make those words true for us. We should bear fruit for God. We should serve God with great intentionality and with full knowledge that this is God's will for us. As we bring the service to a conclusion, I want to ask um, the worship team to come back up. And I want you guys to reflect on two things as we get ready to close this morning. Number one is this question. How strong is your desire to serve God? When was the last time you recognized needs? You established your priorities by putting spiritual things first. You examined your motives for serving or not serving God. You asked God to fill you with his spirit so that you could powerfully and effectively serve him. How strong is your desire to serve God? And secondly, are you faithfully serving this church where God has you? There are so many opportunities here, even within this body, to serve God. Have you asked him where you could serve in this church. And I'm just going to give you a very brief list of areas to serve in this church. Uh, the first area is uh, right behind me right now, which is the music team. You can serve in the band. Uh, you can serve uh, with um, media 
If you want to serve on the music team, which is sound and presentation and videography, uh, as you probably know, we, 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 video, we, uh, we videographize. Uh, that's not a word. Uh, we uh, video every message, and all the messages are up on YouTube. Uh, so we need people to, 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 to do that. This morning, Aiden is doing that. This is Aiden's first time ever, ever doing that, and that's awesome. But we need more people. Yes. I'm, I'm sure he's very encouraged right now. Um, but, you know, we, we, we need more people uh, to, to, to do media, sound, and be in the band. Obviously, Josh is not here, um, and Taylor is here. Um, and that's, that's wonderful. Him and Lauren are, are up there serving, and that's amazing. Uh, but, you know, like, it took, like, Josh went through, like, Taylor, no offense, no offense at all. Josh went through a lot of people before he got to Taylor. Uh, we're, we're glad that Taylor's serving because he's, he's done an awesome job. Uh, but there were several people. Uh, sorry, Trevor, Trevor, Wow. Goodness, goodness me. Taylor, you're sitting in front of me, and I got your name on my mind. Sorry, dude. All right, sorry, you do first. All right, so Trevor. Uh, Trevor is serving this morning on the, on the worship team, and Trevor is, uh, he's, he was, you know, uh, a person that Josh asked, but there's so many other people that he asked that couldn't do it this morning. We need people to serve in the band uh, so that we, uh, you have to be known so that uh, we know your name. All right, so that's, that's not the only area um, of, and I, I, I do know you, but I want to know you better after, after this, I'm sure. We're going to talk about this. Um, so we need people, aside from just uh, Trevor, uh, to serve here in the church in another area, such as uh, Alethea Jr. You know, uh, that's, that's the area that, that we need people to serve in. We need people to serve in our first impressions. There are people that come in here and set up all the chairs and set up the curtains and all those things, uh, set up the lights and all of that. They, they do greeting. Like, we need people to serve in first impressions. That's so important. If you want to serve God here, that's a great area to serve God here. We need people to serve in hospitality. Uh, both both uh, David and Brittany, they served in hospitality this morning, and we need more people to serve in the hospitality ministry as well. We need people to be offering counters. Um, you know, you guys give um, after church on Sundays, and then there are people that take 15 minutes to go into the back and count um, the money, and then they input that information to our system, and we deposit it into the bank. We need people to serve as offering counters. This morning, our offering counters are going to be totally new. They've never done it before this Sunday, so that's amazing. But we need more people. Uh, we need people uh, to, to serve in women's ministry. We need people to serve in men's ministry. We need people to serve as gospel community leaders. Uh, Daniel Espy is always looking for people that want to uh, become gospel community leaders in the future. Uh, so we need people to serve as gospel community leaders. We need people to serve on our social media team. Um, like you guys are like very big on like social media and we need people to like serve in that area to like help with the website and to post things on our Instagram and our Facebook and our Twitter and all of those different aspects of social media that we have. Maybe even TikTok if um, that doesn't get, 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 get taken away, which it seems like Trump is trying to take away right this second. But we need people to serve in all of those areas, you know, as like they do social media stuff. Like that's important. Maybe you just really gifted at, at that. You have like 10,000 followers and like we need some 10,000 followers as well. Uh, so help us in that area, like help us in those aspects of the church. These are just a few of the areas that you can serve in. Alathea Gainesville is in a place right now where we need people to serve this church in areas that are noticeable, like what's on stage and what's in this room, and even they who are running around right now a couple doors down. Like we need people to serve in all of those areas. And as the final aspect of today that I want to share with you is I want to give you a quote um, that will remind us of the gospel. There is never a moment in ministry when you aren't being ministered to. The Savior is not just working through you in the lives of others, but he is also working in you 
as he works through you. He is not just calling you to be an agent of his transforming grace. He is transforming you by the same grace. He is not just committed to the success of your ministry, but also to the triumph of his grace in your own heart and life. You are never just a vehicle of his amazing grace. No, you are always also a recipient of that grace. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you, and we thank you for giving us this call to serve you. Father, I pray that there are people in this room who may have never thought about serving you before who will step up this week and serve you in or around Aletheia. Father, I pray that you would uh, motivate our hearts. I pray that we would be more than just convicted. Lord, this, this, this is a, uh, a tough message. Lord, it's hard to call people out and tell them that they're not Christians if they don't serve God, but that's what you said, and that's the truth. And Lord, I pray that all of us as believers would bear fruit. We either bear 100, we bear 60, or we bear 30, but every person who's connected to you bears fruit. So Father, lead us in this moment to reflect on our lives, Lord, to be reflective on what you are doing in and through us. And Lord, lead us into what you have for us as we seek to give you honor and give you praise. Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. We thank you for living for us. And we ask and pray right now that you would lead us in this time of response. Lord, as we get ready to pray, I pray that you would also lead us in this time of communion. Help us to come before your table and just joyfully receive communion as we seek to reflect on your sacrifice for us as we speak about every Sunday. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. We ask all these things in the only name that transforms, Jesus. Amen.